Hello and welcome to the Everything Is Black and White podcast. It's time for the view from the opposition. This time I'm joined by Dan from the HLT podcast. Uh, Dan, just before I get the insight into Palace from yourself, just explain to our listeners a bit about the name of the podcast, Hopkin Looking to Curl One. Where did that come from? Uh, so basically, in 1997, Crystal Palace played a playoff final at Wembley against Sheffield United. It was, to all intents and purposes, a pretty terrible game of football uh, from start to finish. But when the score was nil-nil in added time, the ball fell to David Hopkin on the edge of the Sheffield United penalty area and he sort of swung his foot at it, um, it cold into the top corner. We won one nil, and, and the commentary that accompanied the goal was Hopkin looking a cold one, and it's sort of gone down in Crystal Palace folklore ever since. And when I was thinking of different names for the Twitter page and the podcast and everything else, that one came to mind, and it stuck. And as I say, it's it's just been that way ever since, really. And talking of Wembley, obviously Palace were there over the weekend, and unfortunately for you guys, knocked out by Chelsea in the semi-final of the FA Cup. From a Newcastle point of view, I think a lot of fans will be looking at that and hoping that the effects of that game, the 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 impact of losing the semi-final will run into to Wednesday night's game. Do you think that will be the case? And how hard is it going to be for Patrick Vieira to kind of shift that result? And what was, from my point of view, looking at it from, from outside, a rather disappointing performance? Yeah, I mean, I don't think it would necessarily be a, a morale issue that we have affecting our performance in Newcastle. But if you look at the overall way that we've played throughout this season, Conor Gallagher has obviously been a huge part of it. Um, the tactical setup against Chelsea sort of looked to mitigate his absence and, and make sure that, you know, we were as cohesive as we could be in the first sort of hour or so. Um, and unfortunately for us, we just weren't able to match the quality that Chelsea had on the day. Obviously, a number of the players that, that started at Wembley will be called upon once again on Wednesday evening against Newcastle, Conor Gallagher will come back in and his energy and dynamism is something that will undoubtedly help us. Um, but as I say, I don't think there was ever really a case of Palace fans and players expecting to beat Chelsea. It's just frustrating that we had to change our tactical approach and at least from a perspective of what we've sort of played all season long under Vieira, we can go back into the game tomorrow night and, and go back to exactly how we like to operate, really. You mentioned there Conor Gallagher. We've discussed um, him in our Newcastle United preview show. Uh, you know, I'm a big fan of him, and it was rather gutting. I, I expect that uh, you guys couldn't feel him, obviously, no surprise given he was on loan from Chelsea. But I mean, if there is a consolation prize in that, it will be that the fact that he'll be fresh and, and raring to go against Newcastle. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, Conor Gallagher is. <laughs> It's almost impossible, I think, to sort of look at a transfer market in any particular window and find a player like him just because he's such a ball of energy. I, I often say on my own podcast, it's as if he plays football as we all would if we got the opportunity to play for our clubs and we had the legs to do it because it doesn't matter if it's the first minute or the last, whether we're winning, whether we're losing. He chases everything down. He's like a little Jack Russell, really. Um, and without him in the team, it was just noticeable that we didn't have that level of, of press in the midfield. And as you say, because he didn't get to play at the weekend, I would have thought we would be bang up for it tomorrow night. Of course, Newcastle were looking at him before he joined Palace and he, he opted to go to Palace. But there'll be plenty of, of suitors, I imagine, in the summer and maybe even a chance for him to win a place at Chelsea. It'd be interesting looking at that one going forward. 
I mean, the other players looking around at the Palace side, there's there's plenty of names that 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 that, that pop into the mind. I mean, obviously, Wilfred Sahar is one. He's just, uh, I mean, he's a Palace legend, and he's just a, such a talented player. And it's going to be really interesting, I think, if he's uh, up against Emil Kraft, who's found a new uh, kind of. Well, he's just he's just become a different player under Eddie Howe, and he's get getting praise in recent games. He's been keeping players quiet and it's going to be a really interesting battle if Sahar does set up on that that left-hand side is that where you think he, he he'll start I think yeah I mean obviously throughout his career really he's primarily played as a left-sided attacker um, obviously in the latter stages of the game at Wembley on Sunday he shifted into the middle of the park and he can do that um, but to be honest since Vieira came in I feel as though Zaha's game from an end product perspective has, has certainly improved. I think he's obviously taking penalties now, but he's able to sort of isolate situations. If he gets a shooting opportunity on the edge of the box or he can drive into the penalty area, he's looking to either find that killer ball or have a shot himself. Whereas in years gone by, he might have looked to beat a man or do a little bit too much. So I think, you know, he has honed his game down quite a bit in the last couple of years. A bit of credit has to go to Roy Hodgson for that as well. Uh, but, you know, I would imagine he will start again uh, tomorrow night. I think Michael Elise will probably be angling for a start on the right-hand side as well. So it's not as though we won't have uh, attacking options. It's just the case, really, of, of whether we can stop the momentum that Newcastle have built in the last few weeks, which is obviously huge. Yeah, 100%. And Newcastle looking for their sixth win in a row at St James Park. Something you have to go all the way back to 2004 uh, when it was last achieved under Sir Bobby Robson. And it'll be another game under the lights, another flag display. So it's set to be a really good atmosphere at St. James's Park. Um, Dan, I'm a big fan of, of Palace and what Patrick Vieira has done. Obviously, Patrick Vieira was another name linked to Newcastle when they were looking uh, for a manager not too long ago. He's come in and, you know, he's rightly been praised for what he's achieved. But given the route of the FA Cup now, will it be a case of kind of, what is there left to play for? Or do you think Patrick Vieira has installed something in the players where, you know, they're safe, but every point up until the end of the season counts? Without a doubt, I think probably, I mean, I could go on for quite some time about the changes that Vieira has made since coming in the summer. But one thing that has been obvious is this sort of raising of expectations, not just from the players, but he wants the fans to believe that we can win every game as well. I think, it's very difficult when you go into a club like a Palace or a Southampton or a Wolves potentially and you're sort of teetering on that mid-table where you could be looking over your shoulder or you could be pushing onto Europe. But because of his career as a player and what he wants to do, I think he has the players eating out of the palm of his hand in terms of his words because he has such a, a recent history. You know, all of them grew up watching that famous Arsenal side that he was the captain of and that carries weight. And I think, you know, he's got us playing a very aesthetically pleasing style of football but he doesn't allow standards to drop you know if we do put in a, a lackluster performance tomorrow night against Newcastle it won't be a case of him saying you know you tried what you tried hard and we'll go again next week he'll be genuinely frustrated and I think that feeds into the way that the players approach every game and hopefully we can finish in the top half and have a good end to the season I know he certainly expects us to so yeah I'm, I'm not too worried I think the overall picture is something that over the next two or three years, we're really hoping he can take on and, and take us onto a level that we haven't been in the Premier League before, really. You mentioned their standards set then. Just going back to that Chelsea result, how do you think, well, how did Vieira look upon the performance? Was it a case that uh, Chelsea were always just a little bit 
too good. But then I guess what you've just said there, the, the, that you know, he wanted, he obviously goes in that game trying to win that game. I'm just wondering how the dynamic then goes towards Newcastle based on your your previous point. Yeah, I think. I mean. Obviously, you have to look at the, the sort of FA Cup final four lineup, and you've got the three best teams in the country and us. Um, and even in the first half, I'm thinking. I mean, I don't know if you watched it yourself, but I'm, I'm thinking maybe Chelsea are a bit flat. Maybe they haven't got enough energy after the, the obviously difficult game they had in Madrid only a few days before. But quite clearly, in the second half, they came out and it went up a gear or two. And um, because of that loss of Conor Gallagher in the middle of the park, I just don't think we were quite able to go with them. Uh, and that isn't really a slight on us. Obviously, if you look at the general squad depth that Newcastle have got at the moment compared to Chelsea, there's a, a fair gap. So I'm sure uh, Vieira will be more confident of us being able to match Newcastle over 90 minutes. And really, it's about mentality-wise, making sure that he doesn't allow their heads to drop. But to be honest with you, there's so many young players there with, with so much to prove still that I don't think they'll necessarily see this semi-final defeat as the end of their season. They're going to want to go into the summer and try and improve once again. So it's all about finishing the season in a good way, really. In terms of the biggest strength of Palace, if you're you know, sitting down with Eddie Howe and you're saying this is what you have to stop to, to get three points over Palace, what, 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 what is it? What, what is Palace's biggest strength? I would suggest, I mean, there's sort of two different things that I would highlight, really. Uh, one that people don't necessarily really realise this season is the difference that we've made in the centre of defence because we aren't necessarily a possession-based side, but the arrivals of Mark Gay and Joachim Anderson have certainly changed us in terms of the way that we build attacks because they're both incredibly comfortable on the ball and they're not looking to just get rid of it. They're looking to advance play in a very uh, positive way. But also, if you can stop us in transition, then you can do a pretty good job, I feel, because... That passing range from the two centre-backs, the options of having Gallagher in the middle or Zaha on the left or Elisa on the right, we can go from the edge of our own box to the edge of yours very, very quickly uh, with a lot of good technical players. So, you know, we look to not necessarily play on the counter-attack because I think that's too simplistic, but we certainly look to, to break through lines a lot more quickly than other teams do. And I think that's something that Vieira has really honed this year uh, in a way that has enabled us to really put teams on the back foot when we're having a good spell. It, it sounds in many ways that there's a, a risk of both teams cancelling each other out because what you've just described there, many people would argue is the way Newcastle like to play. You know, mm. they're very quick going from box to box. We saw that with the, the winner against Leicester City. You know, Matt Target on the touchline knocks it down Willick and then he's away and into the box comes so it'll be interesting. I mean, Newcastle had only a 31% possession of the ball at St. James' part against Leicester. And it's not the first time they've been on, you know, the, the lower end of the, of the possession uh, stats. How does that play into the way Palace approach the game? I think it's difficult to say for sure when you look at the two styles of the sides. Because, I mean, we have had more of the ball generally this season compared to the last year or two under Roy Hodgson. But that isn't really that great a surprise. I think often teams or fans of, of clubs like your Liverpools and your Manchester Cities, they will look at teams with low possession like ourselves and Newcastle occasionally and sort of pigeonhole those teams in a way that isn't really right. Because if you look at the transitions that I've just discussed and by the sounds of it the same from a Newcastle perspective, just because you don't have the ball for a great deal of time doesn't mean you're not doing damage. You know, from my point of view, I'd rather have the ball for 20 seconds and get it from our box to theirs 
in you know possession rather than knocking it around the back for five minutes just to sort of pick a pick a pass when you need to. Obviously, it can have its own benefits to do that and make sure you control the ball at all times. But it's certainly going to be an interesting clash of styles to see exactly how it comes about when uh, the two teams are sort of trying to play a very similar way. I've asked you there about the strength. What is the weakness that Newcastle can tap into? I would probably, at the start of the season, I would undoubtedly have said uh, set pieces aerially. Uh, it's something that was a real issue for us. I remember I went to Burnley away back in November, I think it was, and Chris Wood, who obviously now is a Newcastle player, uh, was just left in five yards of space in their penalty area and he just nodded the ball into the corner. And, you know, you're watching it unfold from the away end, thinking even I can see that that needs to be sorted. But to be fair to Vieira and the coaching staff, it does feel as though we've tightened up a bit on that in, in recent weeks and months. So, I mean, I would still say it's probably our biggest Achilles heel, but you know, it's not as big a problem as it was. So I'm hopeful that we can sort of keep Newcastle at bay in that front. But other than that, we don't have a glaring issue, as it were. I think often we can get a little bit complacent in terms of our attacking play and maybe getting a bit sort of focused on trying to work the ball into the net and getting caught in transition ourselves. But with the pace that Mark Gay's got, we often get bailed out of trouble anyway. So, yeah, I'm not trying to big Palace up for the sake of it, but we've certainly got fewer areas of concern than we did a year or two ago. Is there any cast out of player that you're fearing uh, you know, that Palace need to stop? I'm going to, I'm going to say it and I'm sure Newcastle fans will probably have a little bit of a chuckle. Joe Linton is someone that I've sort of watched as a neutral. Uh, I know that he had all sorts of troubles in front of goal and, and Eddie Howe has you know, reworked him into this uh, powerhouse in the middle of the park. But I watch him now and I just feel as though he's unstoppable when he's in the right frame of mind. You know, obviously you've got Bruno there, and you know, he's a quality player in himself. But I just look at him and I think if you've got a midfield that for whatever reason doesn't necessarily have the physicality that he offers, he could sort of steamroll us a bit in the middle of the pitch. So as, as mad as it would have sounded a year ago, you know, I, I sort of look at that and think if he's on his game, we might well struggle to stop him. It's a really good sign of how far Newcastle have come because when I've, when I used to ask people that question, there would be one name and one name only. It would be Alan St. Maxman. But in the last few weeks, we've had, you know, Bruno, we've had Joe Linson, we've had, uh, I think that's one person said Joe Willick when we've been doing these episodes. So it is a kind of a, a sign of just how well Eddie Howe has done in turning these players around. And obviously the January transfer window worked really well. But on Alan St. Maxman, it, you know, obviously he worked in that Patrick Vieira at, at Nice and, Patrick Vieira said a few things which, you know, weren't too positive about St. Maxman, you know, saying that he thinks talent is enough um, to go to the highest level, but he needs to suffer, he needs to work harder. Um, and, he, you know, he, at that moment, at this moment, he hasn't quite done that. I'm kind of paraphrasing there, but that was said in about 2019. So I'm just wondering, um, have you seen that work ethic put into the palace? I mean, we mentioned Sahar there. Is that the sort of work ethic that Vieira has has imposed on the on the squad down at Selhurst Park? I would say so. Yeah, I think I, just to sort of not defend Vieira there, but I mean, you could look at that situation and see Ellison Maximum going to Newcastle and potentially buckling down a lot more than he would have done previously. So, you know, it could well be a case of Sir Maximum. I don't know disputing that, but then you look at his career ever since, and maybe he sort of took those words to heart, and it's. It's paid off. I think if you look at the, the Palace side, as I sort of mentioned just now, you know, the Arsenal team that he captained 
has this lofty place in everyone's sort of Premier League history, regardless of whether they're an Arsenal fan or not. And I think from that point of view, you know, you've got a Bireza, you've got Michael Elise, you've got Conor Gallagher and Wilfred Zaha. They've all grown up watching that team. And to see the guy that has, has captained it and been that, that spearhead, I think it has just enabled him to go in and really get his ideas across. It shouldn't be the case that managers and coaches need that playing history to, to get their ideas across and get people buying into what they want to do. But it certainly helps in the immediate. And once you you know start that train rolling, I think it's it's difficult to stop as long as as long as he maintains the faith of the players and. You know, it's gone from strength to strength for us really this season. And hopefully it's just, as I say, the first season of many under his guidance. So I think he's definitely, you know, had a, a boost to our energy levels. But we played a very different style of football under Roy Hodgson. And I don't want to throw him under the bus. It's just refreshing to see from a Palace fan's point of view that we're in a, a much better place in terms of the energy that we're putting in from week to week. Yeah, certainly seems like an exciting time to be a Palace fan. I'm just wondering what the overall view of Newcastle is from the Palace fan base. Obviously, at the moment, they're both on 37 points, so they're both looking up and, and looking to break into that top 10 this season. But going forward, I, I don't think I'm doing Palace maybe a disservice by saying with the cash that Newcastle have got, you know, the expectations might be slight, uh, set slightly differently just simply because of the budget. But um, how, how are Palace fans looking at, at Newcastle and what they could potentially do in the the years to come, the takeover and what have you? What What's the view? I think, obviously, the, the whole source of the Newcastle money is a very divisive subject. To be honest with you, I don't really get involved in the, the sort of mudslinging that goes on. I know Holmesdale Fanatics had that banner that they put up and it, it caused all sorts of consternation when we played at Selhurst Park. But for me, you know, the Premier League is full of money that probably isn't the cleanest anyway. I'm not really one of those people that's going to, I don't know, cast aspersions on Newcastle for having cash. Because you can look at Manchester City, you can look all over the league and say that there are question marks. I think for me as a personal point of view, you know, I have seen on Twitter and over the years the sort of impact that Mike Ashley had on that football club and the morale. And... As much as obviously the money is a huge part of it, I think there was just obviously this this sense of of relief that existed across the Newcastle fan base as soon as that takeover happened. And it wouldn't necessarily have mattered whether the ownership model had a tenth of the money they do. You know, it's just being free from the shackles of Mike Ashley and that, that entire cloud that was hanging over the fan base. And I think, you know, you can look at Chelsea and, and Manchester City, all these fan bases that have got sources of money that potentially aren't whiter than white, you're going to end up with question marks and scepticism. And I think you just have to almost exist in a bubble, really. And I dare say that's how Newcastle fans are viewing it. Obviously, we're at the very start of it. But I would imagine in the next five or 10 years, you'll be challenging for Champions League and titles and everything else. And the conversation and the entire sort of view of Newcastle will be different to what it is now. But I can certainly understand uh, why there would be a, a real sense of expectation and hope going forward. And I don't necessarily blame any Newcastle fan for that, personally. Yeah, if that does happen, the Champions League football and the title challenge, and I'm sure Newcastle United fans are, would take that right now. Um, just before I get you to tell us how you think this game is going to go, do you want to just tell our listeners where they can find you on Twitter? Because even if you're not a Palace fan, I do recommend you following Dan. It's, um, he's got a very... Uh, light-hearted news feed, I would say, on Twitter. It's always nice to see your tweets pop up because uh, I think it just brings kind of the lighter side of the game sometimes. So you can, uh, yeah, tell us where they, where, where they can find you. Yeah, so the Twitter handle or at is at HLTCO. 
Um, yeah, as I say, I mean, I'm just on Twitter every day talking about Palace primarily, but also uh, football across the country and across Europe. I just, I'm really a football geek uh, and take interest in it in all its forms, whether it's the Premier League or the Football League, Spain, Germany, Italy, France, it doesn't really matter. And, you know, I get a bit of stick, but then everyone throws it around on that social media platform. So I'll carry on doing what I'm doing and hopefully a fair few people listening to this might end up following me as a basis of, you know, what I've said on this podcast. So, yeah. Yeah, fingers crossed. I said, do you go over and follow Dan. How is it going to finish then on Wednesday, Dan? Are Palace going to going to get a win? I think given what we've said about fatigue and, and everything else with Newcastle's uh, momentum, I can't necessarily predict that we're going to come away with three points. But being a Palace fan, I'm not going to come on the podcast and say we're going to lose either. So I'll probably go with a, a 1-1 draw, I think. I think it's going to be a really entertaining game, but I did on our preview episode with John Gibson, but did that Newcastle were going to win comfortably, partly because it's my dad's birthday as well. So I'm hoping Newcastle and Eddie can deliver him a happy birthday. Uh, Dan, thank you for popping on to the Everything is Black and White podcast. To you guys listening, please remember to like and subscribe to the podcast. Totally free to do. Just means with every new episode we upload, you get a notification say it's ready to download or listen to and head over to chroniclelive.co.uk to keep up to date with all the latest Newcastle United news.